Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Brian McAndrew, both of us fussing with the recording devices for this show because you're the guy behind behind the scenes, and now we're here making another podcast. Yeah, good to be here at your cousin's house. Portland, Oregon, man. Yeah. Can't beat it. Uh, we just had a busy day of filming. My voice is tired, so that's why I'm going to tee you up and uh, learn about your journey through keto, because... Um, when the guy behind the camera is more devoted and uh, even more ripped than the best-selling co-authors that he's filming, sometimes we've got to see what's going on here. So we, we saw you on KetoReset.com with your body transformation from <laughs> fat chicken face. I forgot what your wife called you. I always mess that up. I just I just got back from a wedding and people were bringing me the photos that I was using of the before photos at a friend's wedding. And People were putting in my face saying, hey, remember when you looked like this? I was like, oh my gosh. Well, you kind of went from a uh, uh, skinny dude mm-hmm. to big guy in the gym getting huge. Mm-hmm. And then like kind of phase three now is this lean, mean keto machine. So especially, um, I'm curious, like at your age, what do you, th- would you just turn 31? 31. Yeah. So in this age group, um, what is the, what's your peer group doing? Like your buddies from... From Duckland and uh, the the Supwitcha Girl group in Eugene, Oregon, are they uh, into diet as a as a group? Would you make an observation, or how's things looking? Uh, that not really among my friends, but I definitely see sort of the whole keto thing and even the carnivore thing. It seems like is sort of big in the whole like Silicon Valley like tech, you know, sort of younger people oh, there. Sure, the body hackers that yeah. are optimizing their brain function. Yeah, and I think, and the thing with the carnivore diet, I think there's just this, the simplicity of it, the, the sort of that, um, I don't know, probably that very technical, like, programmer mind is really drawn to of just, oh, I just eat steak. And, you know, you do get mental clarity from, you know, being in ketosis, so I think it's those two things of sort of just the, like, the simplicity of it, and yeah, that sort of, I mean, I, I do notice a cogn- cognitive, you know, boost from it still. Uh, you mean in comparison to your previous ways where you were still eating healthy, but not in that yeah. deep keto? Yeah. And I don't want to oversell it, you know, but it is like, you know, like a 10%, you know, where I feel like not just, you know, like, oh, I can solve math problems faster, but sort of more of just like a mood stabilizing sort of, there's less ups and downs where I feel like uh, just kind of more chill throughout the day, you know, less... Uh, like less anxious, I guess. Um, you don't, subtle, you don't want to oversell it no. because you were extremely brilliant prior to your prior to your keto foray. But another one, uh, I don't know who said this. Maybe it was Peter T or something like the convenience factor and your oh, your yeah. level of productivity in your day when you wake up and make yourself a coffee or tea or whatever, and that's it. And you go to work. Like, yeah, I can think to some of my extravagant preparations, especially when I'm visiting my family in Woodland Hills, and like. All I'm doing is cooking these awesome meals and making the dessert and the the mascarpone mousse with with fresh berries, which is pretty much keto-friendly and primal-friendly and nutritious and all that. But it's like the act of consuming these giant meals three times a day or even two times a day to where you you go into a different realm, especially if you're busy. I mean, the, the main time when I'm really 
heavy into that keto thing is when I'm traveling because I don't want to eat any crap. Yeah, same. And when I know I'm going to be, you know, really busy, if I know I'm going to have a lot of work stress and it's like, that's when I'm, I'm sort of going to go like really keto and I'm going to start, you know, pounding the MCT oil and it does become sort of less meals and it's more, you know, I'm just sort of just buzzing on, you know, MCTs and it's sort of like two different modes, I guess, you know, I have my more like casual, you know, vegetable rich keto and then my sort of, I'm going to space, you know, in my rocket ship traveling, you know, and I'm just like dialed in with my can of sardines and MCT oil. Makes it easy. Yeah. I mean, I've taken breaks from keto and that's the, is the biggest thing I notice is I'll definitely eat more meals. You know, I'm more of like a three or four meal a day person when I'm eating, you know, a more balanced diet and then keto is more like two. Yeah. So in summary, here we are in 2018 I believe you and I started together in April of 2016 when we were doing that photo shoot and staging all these groups of uh, trying to figure out what 50 grams of carbs looked like. And we're like, holy crap, uh, some Brussels sprouts, a salad, one tablespoon of almond butter and a few squares. And we're already there. I can't believe this. And then we tried to do some more research and get the, um, you know, get the greens allocated mm-hmm. a little differently and a little bit of a free pass for having those greens. But that was... Uh, now over two years ago, yeah, and you've been kind of cruising nonstop, pretty much, pretty much. And I think something that anyone can take away from is like it hasn't been nonstop. You know, it's it's more like it is a hundred percent. Like sort of when I'm just living my normal life, you know, day to day during the week. But the for me, like the biggest downside I see of keto is like sort of the binary nature of it, whether you're you know, that phrase, I'm kicked out of ketosis. And really for like any kind of diet, that's like the ultimate thinking you want to avoid is that binary on the wagon, off the wagon sort of thing. And keto diet has that sort of built into it, into its framework, you know, like, oh, I'm in ketosis, I'm out of ketosis. And so that's sort of the most troubling. Sorry, sorry to hear that. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I what got, happened? I got kicked out. I, got, I went to this wedding. I was, I was in the wedding party and they made me drink wine and eat cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the, you know, as someone who wants to do a keto diet long term, I think it's, I just think you have to build into its framework of flexibility of there will be instances where I'm going to get knocked out, you know, but it's not it's not a big deal because, you know, you just go back to eating your keto diet and you're back into it. And I experimented a little bit with, you know, sort of a structured, like cyclical approach. And I didn't like how much it made me focus on, you know, the struck, oh, I'm eating carbs now. Now I'm not eating carbs and sort of the extra thought I had to put into it because the whole thing I liked about keto is that, oh, it's less thinking about food. It's less, you know, mental effort put towards my diet. But then doing the cyclical thing and suddenly you're fixating on a way more and you realize that, you know, one of my phrases I use is, you know, life will give you refeeds. Like you don't need to plan these <laughs> carb refeeds, but, you know, if you have any sort of social life, you know, you're going to have these instances where probably not going to be, you're going to either have to avoid the situation or, you know, be the one person who's not eating what's served. And I think in those instances, if it's like, you know, one or you know, say every one or two weeks, like it's okay to eat not keto and not worry about it. And you don't have to make it into a big binge. And you can even, for me, like when I go to, like I just got back from a wedding this last weekend and it's not like, oh, I'm going to have a carb refeed. It's like, um, I'm going to enjoy some beer. And, you know, when the 
meal was served. I ate the steak and that's it. And then I had a bunch of beer and I was knocked out of ketosis. And oh, well, you know, in a couple of days, I'll be back into it. Well, it's likely that this is a hormetic stressor with a net long-term benefit that you're honing metabolic flexibility. Rob Wolf talked about that. Um, Might have been on the lengthy Joe Rogan podcast where you get that uh, metabolic insulin resistance, they call it. It's a controversial concept, but the main idea for the listener here is to say that if you're never producing that much insulin because you're in keto nonstop for years and years, that you have this, the, the, the same adverse effect as someone who's overproducing it. In other words, your cells don't respond well to insulin. So if you do go eat cake once in a while mm-hmm. at a wedding or drink a bunch of beer, um, it's sort of like a recalibration where your, your cell receptors wake up and are more sensitive to insulin, which is the goal that we all want. Yeah, and people will take that and, you know, they'll run, you know, they'll run a mile with it. And I think that's, you know, you don't want to do that because all you have to, you know, just a simple sweet potato or a couple drinks or whatever, you know, some popcorn is enough to do that just to, and I don't know if there's any like, um, you know, really great research about this, but I can imagine, you know, because ketosis is sort of like a starvation state to sort of just let your body know that you're not in that state all the time probably has some sort of benefit you know, just sending that signal. And also, everything's being rethought. Uh, Tom, Dr. Tommy Wood just told me, I think it was him, sorry, uh, that now they're looking at 0.3 as the threshold for keto. Mm-hmm. We, we've often been told that this you can t- test your blood, prick your finger, and get a 0.5 millimolar reading of blood ketones level in your bloodstream. And that's the official qualification for nutritional <laughs> ketosis. And... We hear the podcast about people bragging about their 3.7 and all this. And now it's kind of like, wait, are those high numbers not good maybe? Because that means it's just floating around in your bloodstream not being used. And boy, this was a really confusing issue for, for Mark and I doing research for the book. And we were testing ourselves, you know, obsessively for months and months trying to figure this crap out. And I just put, I think I put it up on Instagram uh, a, a, a couple months ago. But this was after an evening popcorn binge and a period of time where I was, you know, loose with my carbohydrate intake. And I tested my ketones one day and they were 0.7, which was a higher number than I got almost for the entire duration of my very strict five-month keto experiment uh, for the book research where I was pulling 0.2, 0.4, 0.6, 0.3. It's like, what's a guy got to do to put up some numbers here? I mean, some of these were coming off of like, a 36 hour, uh, or a, a, you know, a, a 20 hour fast. And the previous 24 hours prior to that was extremely low carbohydrate intake with a sprint workout. And I'm like, all right, watch out. Here comes it. Watch out, Mr. Blood number. It's going to blow the, blow the record off the machine and it'll go beep 0.4. What? But now there's a little much, a little more understanding. Maybe the understanding is don't worry about it. I don't know. Are yeah. you testing a lot these days? Uh, no, no. I mean, the last time I tested, I never really tested it on my own, but when we were, when I was visiting in Sacramento, I think uh, Lindsay had, had the meter. So I tested then and I, you know, cause I was sort of on my travel keto diet where I'm, you know, pounding the MCTs and the Kegenics. I think I blew like a three point something. So it was super high, but I'm sure, you know, during my day to day, it's, I, I never test, but cause I'm not worried about it. You know, I feel good, but I'm sure it's much lower. And I, I mean, you know, just going by what people are saying anecdotally, I'd imagine that um, a high activity level, you know, probably just means those ketones 
are going to be taken out of the blood and you know used for something useful as opposed to just floating around in there. Uh, I, I remember Dr. D'Agostino said that your highest reading might come a couple hours after a hard workout while you're fasted, and that's because your 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 liver is thinking that you need the resources because of the strenuous workout, but then you sit on the couch. So he says, do a hard workout, sit on the couch for two hours, and then take your blood. And so your liver doesn't know that the workout ended, mm-hmm. so it's pumping pumping uh, ketones in. But if you were to take the reading five minutes after the workout, maybe it's down very low because you're burning through it. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then something else that I think uh, Michael Rutherford, one of the uh, moderators in the keto group, he was talking about how he saw his highest readings ever when he was backpacking, like doing, you know, this low level activity for, you know, or actually probably very strenuous activity, but he was eating some carbs. He was eating RX bars. And I would imagine that, you know, having just that right amount of carbs would probably, it would make sense that it would sort of in the same way that ketones spare glucose, you know, the carbs, the glucose would spare ketones because probably be prioritized and you have a more sort of the ketones floating around in there, you know, more as like a, I don't know, they're just there more available if you need them. Right. Wild. Yeah. Well, we know that the ultimate, uh, level of adaptation is to get your muscles really good at burning fatty acids and your brain getting good at burning ketones. Mm-hmm. But when you start out on keto, this is from Finney and Volek's work, um, there you have sort of a competition for energy because the muscles are starved of their usual supply of glucose. The brain's starved of its usual supply of glucose. So you're making ketones and some of them are going to the muscles, some of them are going to the brain. So your workouts mm-hmm. are slightly off and you have the afternoon blues. That's mm-hmm. why it's so important out of the gate to kind of tone down your exercise. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I definitely kind of learned on my journey. At the very start or uh, over time, what happened? Uh, at the very start, I was still pretty big into the CrossFit scene. That was like, that was my jam. That was my community. That's where I was hanging out. So I was still pretty heavy into that. And I was decided, you know, I wanted to lower my body fat a little bit, but I was still doing, you know, you know, daily CrossFit and, you know, pretty long sessions where I do my own program strength training. And then I joint hop in with the class and do, you know, the wads. And I couldn't figure out why, like, you know, everyone talks about, oh, the appetite suppressing effects of keto. And I was like, you know, a few hours after my CrossFit class, I was like, uh, what appetite suppressing effects? So, you know, I was voracious and it's not that I, I couldn't, I mean, people will say, well, oh, I do keto and CrossFit and I feel fine. And I honestly never felt my workouts suffered either, but it was sort of that dysregulation of appetite and that sort of afternoon blues that I wasn't really connecting with the workout itself. Because, yeah, I was getting through the workouts fine, but, you know, then you in the coming days, you know, you don't make that connection that maybe you're dragging a little bit. And Oh, jeez. I mean, this is a big deal for me because unlike you... I'm an old fool trying to do this crazy shit. Not as crazy as CrossFit. I, I feel like half a CrossFit workout is one of the best workouts on the planet. Shout out to everybody in CrossFit. Love you guys. Super fun. I've had some great times in there. I've had some minor injuries too because I got tired doing the inverted uh, handstand pull-ups and squash my neck because I was trying to do one too many reps. But anyway, um, it gets an easily drifts into that chronic pattern, which is what you describe, where your voracious appetite was maybe not related to that 
one workout that you did that but, morning, you know, every the day after 17, day, yeah, yeah. You, you keep sending, you know, that message of, you know, you're trying to, you're doing something very glycolytic, but there's nothing there. And so you're, you know, your brain is trying to, you know, send you the signals like, Hey, like feed me. But yeah, I found a lot of success, you know, just, uh, changing, you know, I'd, I'd still go to the gym every day, but I just sort of change the modalities because, you know, CrossFit's great because it, it introduces a lot of people to the world of strength training. You know, that's their first time touching a barbell, but there's, you know, there's many ways to sort of lift weights. And I fell more in love with, you know, just lifting, you know, doing just old bodybuilding stuff and powerlifting and, you know, just doing those things. And that wasn't as taxing as, you know, getting my heart rate way up. And then for cardio, I just did sort of the math cardio. Mm-hmm. And that would, that was like, would just help me recover. So it was almost like this endless sink of that sort of activity I could do, you know, when I wanted to exercise where I didn't feel like it was having the same sort of uh, feedback loops, you know, I could just, you know, do the long, slow runs and it would really relax me more than anything. Wow. So, I mean, to be fair, you were doing, you were overdoing it on CrossFit. You're doing, I was overdoing the intensity yeah, too much. So, but that, that does bring up a very important point, which is the workout itself is prolonged. Your heart rate is elevated for a long time. It's a blend of cardio and strength because that's their motto is to forge elite fitness and be a gymnast, uh, a power lifter and strength trainer or something. The, the three pillars where they're trying to build everything up. So they're, they're reaching that objective. But if you do that too often, you're kind of in that overstimulating stress hormones for, for too long a period of time. And in contrast, the jogging, the math heart rate, of course, you're not getting a stressful event. You're mm-hmm. building your cardio the right way. You're burning fat. And then pairing that with these strength sessions, those are different because they're, the, the, the work efforts are so short or what are those like? It's, I mean, strength training, when it comes down to it, is pretty boring. You know, you go in there, you're not really going in there to get your heart rate up. You're, you know, you do your sets and reps, you rest in between and, you know, you're trying to progress over time, you know, lifting heavier and heavier weights, but you know, you really don't burn through that much glucose in a session. And then, you know, you're resting, you know, in between your sets and it's right. Everybody messes that up and they, they think it's like, Oh, well I, I strength train. So I need to, I need to drink uh, Gatorade right after. No, I mean, when I, when I go to the gym, it's like, it's, you know, I'm listening to podcasts. It's like, I'm not getting amped up. It's like, you know, the best metaphor I've heard, it's like strength training is it's just like moving a pile of dirt. And, you, you, you know, it's just like, oh, you go in there and I move a little bit of, you know, dirt, you know, like digging a ditch. You know, some days you'll move a lot of dirt. And then, you know, some days it's just, you know, you barely move anything. But it's just like that consistency. And it's, I don't know, it's just not, it doesn't have to be this intense thing that you get really amped up for. And you're going to, you know, get your heart rate jacked up for. I guess that's better because you can feel it out and decide how much dirt you should move in a very appropriate manner rather than submitting to, I mean, spinning class was the worst example because I I worked for the company and my job was to educate the instructors to the idea that you don't have to grind these guys to the sprint finish of the Tour de France every day. Sometimes it can be uh, a spin session that's Mm -hmm. fun and you learn how to pedal with one leg or whatever. I mean, I'm still sort of trying to figure that out because a lot of, you know, I'm, I'll follow like these programs and I'll say, oh, you're supposed to do this and this on this day. And I'm just realizing more and more that some days, you know, that's just not the day 
to do it. And then other days when you're feeling good and you could probably knock it out of the park, it's like, it's just not there. And so I've just been, I mean, it's been something I've been thinking about more recently is almost like think about it more as like this modular, like blocks where it's like, oh, I have two or three, you know, hard, you know, heavy, or like say I have two heavy squat days a week and I'll, I can put those any days I want that week. And, you know, two heavy upper body sessions and, you know, you just place, you know, you do the workouts when you feel like you're ready to do them. You know, this sounds so breezy, but it's absolutely the highest level of sophistication of athletic training. You just kicked ass on the U.S. Olympic Training Center and all the <laughs> bullshit spewing out of there with these physiologists and experts who are trying to coach an athlete like a robot. And if you just had this kind of, you know, uh, a draw, you know, a, a bowl of, uh, of, of, fun thing, of work you have to get done, you yeah. know, like in a week, he's like, you know, you have, yeah, you just have a, almost a laundry list of things you need to get done and you decide where you want to put them based on, you know, how you feel each day. Yeah. Mark and I, when he was coaching me and I was on the professional triathlon circuit and there was a big race coming, uh, four months from now, whatever. Um, the idea would be like, yeah, you should get a few long rides in and they should be really super high quality where you feel awesome. So guess what? That whole sentence, don't, don't cut me off at the comma. You should get a few long rides in that feel super awesome and you perform great and you feel great. So if you go out there and you're just moving dirt or, or doing things in a mediocre way, it doesn't count. Because mm-hmm. I felt like crap. I bonked at mile 80. My quads, my lower back tightened up. Mm-hmm. Those are the days where I'm going to pack it in and go home after an hour because I know after an hour that this ain't my day. And then bide my time, bide my time. And then when the day comes, you knock it out of the park, mm-hmm. as you say. And um, then you've done the appropriate work for whatever your, your race goal is. But we, we completely forget these simple notions in favor of consistency, which in this context is kind of bullshit. Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to just the way, I guess, programs and coaching is um, sort of delivered. You know, it's always delivered on this sort of seven-day week, you know, template. I don't know why, you know, that it just sort of became a thing, Um, you know, that a training week is seven days and you, you know, you put all the, the different workouts, you know, on the same days of the week. And it's like, that's kind of, that makes a lot of sense from a convenience, you know, factor and whether you're, you know, following like a pre-written program where you have, you know, an online coach who's programming for a whole bunch of people. That's what they're going to do because it's easy. But, you know, there's really no reason that a training week needs to be a set number of days. And, you know, you can't, you know, take rest days or I I hate rest days, but I guess light days. You know, I'm a big fan of, you know, those media, not mediocre, but, you know, where you're just going in. Purposeful light day. Yeah. And then you, you know, yeah, you can choose where you want to put those so you hate rest. You hate not going to the gym or not doing something. Yes, that's that's it just my frame a nice day. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I like I said, especially you know, I'm a I'm a new dad, and so sort of my my gym time is sort of the one the couple hours I get to myself. So it's like this thing, you know, I like waking up early before anyone can bother me. And no shit, man. Because when we fly to Austin, we're two hours <laughs> two hours forward. It's 528 in the morning and you're gone walking three miles to the gym to do your, <laughs> do your power workout. It's very impressive. That is like the time I have to myself, you know, and I, I really like that, that time. And so even if I'm, you know, feeling a little bit creaky, I like to go in there and do something. And I do feel like those, uh, I almost, I always like 
I'll do these like programmed, you know, deloads. And I always feel like worse, you know, coming back. What's a deload? It's basically where you're supposed to like take, you do like a super easy week. You know, you'll do like three or four like hard weeks that sort of build and accumulate. And then you'll take basically almost a rest week where it's like super easy. And it's like a full week usually because, you know, it's still on that sort of seven day paradigm. And when I do that, I just like by the, you know, Monday when I'm supposed to hit it again, I just feel like I forgot how to do anything, you know, and and for me, it's like, I mean, I think I'm moving towards this. If I was programming for myself, I would do maybe, you know, three or four easy days. And then by then, you know, I'm pretty, I'm ready to go. You know, I don't need a full week of like Mm -hmm. nothing. And yeah, it's like, like I said, I, I like being active every day. So I think just, I need to burn some energy every day. Like it, I just feel better. Jeez, man. Now I'm rethinking some of these long held notions my whole life. What I, what I considered recovery was mostly to be sitting around. And after a recent conversation with Joel Jameson on get over yourself podcast, um, he's talking about this rebound training concept where you go in the gym and you are doing a purposeful workout to stimulate parasympathetic activity. That's the calming, relaxing rest and digest nervous system. So through the workout, because it's carefully designed, you are going to speed up recovery and enhance recovery uh, versus sitting home and eating and watching TV. And we know the body likes to move. And if you sit for more than 20 minutes, you stop burning fat and you start to get more insulin resistant really quickly. So we should be getting up and walking around all the time, especially after a sprint workout. I feel like um, movement the next day and movement for the duration of that day mm-hmm. is going to dramatically minimize the, the, the damage and the trauma from the workout because the body likes to move, not sit. And so this, you know, you go and do a rebound workout, you're doing things like lifting the positive, the lift of the deadlift and then dropping the weight because mm-hmm. we don't want to get sore, uh, doing an interval that lasts 10 seconds. And then for the next 60 seconds, being really carefully attuned to trying to lower your heart rate and develop that skill where you can counter that stress response with a calming, relaxing response. So I guess the general message here is that you enjoy going to the gym for mental health reasons as well as physical exercise. You don't have to slam yourself every day, but you're there doing something to make your day better, really. Yeah, I'd say that sums it up. What about the, uh, the, the diet uh, journey? So you got into Primal, I think, quite a while ago. Yeah. I'm guessing that's in that age group, that's kind of rare. We seem to see uh, the clientele or the, the followers are more in their, the, the age you are now with young families and trying mm-hmm. to be healthy and see what the best thing to their kids. But when did you first become exposed to this sort of ancestral approach and how did the journey go from there? I think I'd had a brief uh, exposure because I... I was doing CrossFit for like a little bit in college. And so I had a brief exposure to the whole paleo diet then. So I sort of had it rat- at least rattling around in the back of my brain. And then uh, after I graduated, I was, I did some travel and then. Cause it made money on his viral video. <laughs> I love my ducks. Go look it up. <laughs> and then when I got back from uh, Africa, I, my first, basically when I entered the work wor- world, I uh, moved down to LA and I was down there, my brother was down there at the time, and I was just, uh, I was living with him. I didn't have like a real job yet, and so I started working at this 
like trendy, like juice and smoothie bar, oh, like yeah. in LA. And didn't LeBron James come yeah, in? Yeah, it was it was in Century City. It was called Earth Bar. Um, I think they still have locations, but it was the Century City Earth Bar. And I sort of got exposed to this whole like health and fitness like world that I'd never known about. And I realized looking back now that that sort of season made a big impact. You know, we were drinking smoothies full of, you know, maca powder and bee pollen and just the idea that, you know, like, oh, you can, you know, sort of reach this next level, like through these nutrients we're taking in. Um, and we were like, I was living with like a personal trainer and this other guy who was super into fitness. So we were just riding our bikes for miles all over LA and then going to the gym and then riding our bikes to the beach and, you know, just being super active. So that season sort of stuck with me as sort of this, oh, I like being, you know, I like being fit and healthy. Um, and then that got, also got put on the back burner and I started working my real job um, in advertising, which was, you know, the whole soul sucking, um, you know, introduction to the wor- work world, which I know you've you sort of experienced, thankfully, like, you know, way shorter than most of us. You, I think you were out of there in a week. 11 and a half weeks at the world's okay. largest accounting firm out of college and then deciding to retire to pursue a career as a professional triathlete. So I'm glad to hear someone else had that soul-sucking experience because really, like, you're looking around your office and probably seeing these dudes that are so jacked about their, you know, their contribution to the advertising world. And then that's when you really feel that disconnection. Like, the guys around me were so enthusiastic about auditing, and I was only thinking about, you know, uh, what what are the best wheels on my bike for my weekend ride? And that's a that's a huge disconnect. So if you you young listeners are involved in a career track that's not um, it's not appropriate, take some action, man. Yeah, I remember. I knew within a couple of days that oh. I was in the wrong wrong place. But I you know I st- ended. I think I was there for two seventeen ye- years. Oh, no, sorry. no, like two and a half years. But I took some trips back to Africa, sort of to regain my sanity. And during this phase, you know, when I was working and going back and forth, that's when um, I sort of... <laughs> Where are you headed, Brian? You taking some days off? Yeah, I'm going to freaking Africa to get out of here. You consumerism bullshit, United States. Uh, yeah, have they, a great time. They took me back twice. And then the third time, they're like, you're, okay, you're not coming back this time. Um, but during this time, I actually, I, you know, I still sort of had that interest in, um, you know, fitness and health. And living in LA, um, you know, I got it in my head that, oh, a vegan diet would be good to do. And at the same time, I, I was getting really into running just to sort of burn off steam at the end of the day. So this combination of not eating any animals and, you know, just running like a madman after work, I basically, I shriveled away. <laughs> and looking back, I, I mean, I probably really damaged my health, honestly. I mean, a lot of it was probably just working a job. I didn't like, and then, yeah, putting on top of that, just, um, you know, just not eating enough, not eating any animals, and then, you know, just, you know, running constantly, yeah, you know, it, you get that. You're talking about the, the triple crown there, man, a shitty job, um, a nutrient deficient diet, not to criticize veganism, but you probably didn't have the optimal approach, or it's not optimally in your genetics, and those are... Um, completely independent of a blanket condemnation. I think we're doing too much of that where it's like, yeah, it was so stupid. I went vegan for a while. Well, um, some people are feeling fantastic on Mm -hmm. that mode, but maybe they have better jobs. I don't know. Yeah. And honestly, I think probably the biggest thing was just not having a good job or, you know, (laughs) 
or even, you know, like a, like a bunch of really close friends like living in LA. But so I'm not going to just trash the vegan diet either, but it definitely didn't do. Uh, <laughs> Plus, it, you weren't eating. It didn't. Uh, you were you're excluding some of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. Well, that and you know the chronic endurance exercise didn't do a lot of favors to my body composition. Yeah, I was already um, a very small guy. Yeah, could could vegan be super awesome for the yoga instructor mm-hmm. who is never doing anything chronic and never asking for explosive performance nor prolonged endurance suffering, um, and has that built in chill type of uh, disposition. Uh, That's interesting question. It's probably, you know, almost any diet could work if someone's really highly vibrating on all the other levels in their life. It's interesting thought. And I know there's, you know, there's these counter arguments to whatever diet where there's this tribe in South America Mm -hmm. that eats only cornmeal and a few other fruits and vegetables. Their their diet is hundred percent carbs and they're very healthy and they have no heart disease. Yeah. And they live it 8,000 feet and they walk 12 miles a day. So what you got, what you got to say about anybody walking 12 miles a day and not eating processed foods, you're done. You, 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 you ascend to the next level. You're you're going to heaven. You're going to live to 97 probably. But for the rest of us who are in these stressful activities, like Dr. Tommy Wood says, all modern athletic goals are a a completely modern construct. Hunter gatherer did nothing of the sort. And we have to remember also like our ancestors did, they were lazy mofos that did the absolute bare minimum necessary to survive and never a finger lifting more because there was no point. Yeah. They weren't accumulating goods and trying to get to earn more beads to get a bigger hut because they're going to break that thing down and move to the next place. So, you know, now we're, we're on a completely different zone and we have different dietary needs perhaps. Yeah. I mean, like, I think we've, t- we've talked about it before. I mean, just off recording, but you know, this is a whole podcast about diet, but it's, you know, I think a lot of times we overemphasize, you know, Uh the role it plays. And as long as you don't, you know, you don't want to screw it up, you know, and we talk about, you know, avoiding, you know, sugars, grains, and those uh, processed oils. Like once you get rid of that, it's like everything else doesn't even matter that much compared to all the other lifestyle stuff. Yeah. I'm getting there, man. I mean, I'm, I don't think I was ever, hopefully not super dogmatic about, uh, you know, my journey and all the different stops, but I know that um, hanging out with Rip Esselstyn gives me a wonderful perspective. Mm-hmm. If you don't know him, he's an old-time triathlon buddy of mine. I've known him for 30 years. He's super positive, enthusiastic. He's making a fantastic change in the world, and he's from the entire opposite spectrum of us in the ancestral community. He's part of, uh, his brand is called the Engine 2 Diet, best-selling book series. His father... Dr. Caldwell from Cleveland Clinic is one of the world's leading researchers in reversing heart disease through diet. And they're in the plant-based category where they, you know, swear off animal products. They don't even like um, uh, oils like olive oil Mm -hmm. because it's too fat. And they want to emphasize the, Rip calls it the peasant foods of fruits, vegetables, whole grains. Um, But if you spend a little time on a spreadsheet or whatever you want, breaking down the various messaging and the various approaches we have, And me and that mofo went shopping together at the Sacramento Natural Foods Co-op with our little baskets, sharing one basket, and almost everything in there was group activity. Mm -hmm. And then he likes to have a little more fruit than I do when I'm in my keto phases, and he doesn't want a bite of my liver. But, oh my gosh, I think it's for all the listeners to back up a few steps and realize, um, you know, who said this? Uh, Tommy said this on his blog. Dr. Tommy Wood said... Uh, moving around more, 
is way more important than anything you eat. Mm-hmm. If you're not moving around enough, we have to start there. Same with sleep. Anyone would, would chime in there. So now that we got that off your <laughs> off our chest, you had this shit ass vegan diet. Yeah. You were training too you were training too hard and you had a lousy job. So yeah, picking and, up from there. And that combination of things sort of uh withered me away into <laughs> a shell of a you know young mid twenty year old person. Um and it was I think it was during one of these other one of these uh, trips to Africa, I think maybe the one where I met my future wife. And I sort of, at that moment, sort of took a look in the mirror and be like, wow, I've, I've sort of uh, frittered away my health. And at the same time, I actually, I got a parasite uh, when I was over in Africa. So that oh, further, geez. you know. <laughs> I'd, I'd say you were vulnerable when you went over there then. I didn't know that storyline before, that you, you set yourself up by heading over there as a depleted yeah. uh, skinny chicken boy, as Grace called you. Yeah, and then I, and then... You know, I further exasperated by, you know, swimming in some dirty ass water in some African village and uh, got a parasite that I didn't even know I had for several months. But, you know, I continued to, you know, lose weight and it sort of became a health scare because they couldn't uh, find what parasite it was. And so it became unclear if I did have a parasite or, you know, if I had something more serious like cancer or something. So they started doing, you know, I had to do a whole run up you know, like a bone marrow biopsy and all these things to make sure I didn't have cancer. But sort of that, that phase, I sort of took, you know, I sort of just looked in the mirror and sort of asked, asked myself questions of, you know, why I'd been doing things that way. And I, so I remember I just sort of wanted to turn a corner and like really build back my health and like virility, really. I was like, I, I need to get some like, I just want to have robust health again. And that's sort of when I really sort of dove back into the whole primal paleo thing. And uh, it definitely did make a difference. You know, I I just, I was eating lots of eggs and sardines and meat. And that's when I moved to Portland and I became very involved in the CrossFit gym. And it really was this uh, transformation. Um, And I remember the next time I saw my future wife, Grace, like she was, didn't think it was the same person. Like, you know, I was used to be a stick and then, uh, yeah, I wasn't a stick anymore, I guess. It was only then that she agreed to date you. and Seriously, probably. Yeah. She's like, okay, I'll consider this white boy from America now. Cause he, he well, yeah, like- her, her whole family thought like the first time they saw me, they thought I was on drugs. <laughs> oh, like, like, like tweaked out. Yeah. Like, they thought yeah, I was like a tweaker. Boy. They thought I was a tweaker. Ooh. And then I came back, you know, and they're like, oh, like this guy really shaped up. Okay, so not to um, cast aspersions or judgments, but you plunged into that scene in L.A. and you drifted from one thing to the other, and you ended up an overtrained, uh, nutrient depleted, uh, overworked, uh, you know, unfulfilled thing. And it's like, you know, you're in your twenties, you're going for it. You're you're a talented uh, artist and filmmaker. We we saw that in college when you made the viral video, "I Love My Ducks." <laughs> And so it seemed like every, and, and you had this sincere interest in health and fitness. You're not talking about your partying days where you, you know, crashed cars and, um, you know, hung out with Tommy Lee and got arrested. You were doing what you were, you were, you were, you know, by all accounts, um, doing the best you could. And it just, it's ran you aground. That's, mm-hmm. that's a pretty profound lesson to learn and reflect upon. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I'm, 
except for the swimming in the, in the stinky pool, that was probably not a good idea. But wasn't it because you were hotter than heck oh. and like at the equator just dying? Oh my gosh, yeah. I, that, there was nothing, you know, I was, I was roasting and, you know, nothing. I saw my, you know, African friend, he was doing it. So I thought, oh, I could, you know, it's fine for me too. It's like me going to Mexico, man. <laughs> I've, I've just come back from my fourth trip there in two years and sick upon return every time. So I'm, I'm making a conclusion that maybe I shouldn't hang out in small villages in Mexico, even though other people are just fine. Um, boy, you know, connecting the dots. So uh, you came back and thanks to Portland. Okay, sorry, LA, you, you lose this battle to Portland, but this has to be the most, most health conscious town. I'll put Boulder up there, um, but it is phenomenal what's going on in this town and stopping off at these random neighborhood markets like the new seasons chain which mm-hmm. is only local i think mm-hmm. they're absolutely phenomenal they are you know above and beyond whole foods in many ways and this is what people are accustomed to because it's all over town yeah i mean there's there's a big you know sort of farm to table restaurant scene and you know the whole plant-based vegan scene's big up here too oh, yeah i forgot the portlandia episode where they're eating the pasture-raised chicken <laughs> they're like excuse me is this chicken local is it pasture-raised well, did he have a good life? Did he have peer support? Oh God, that was funny. And then they're like, they're still trying to order and then they, they can't decide. And so they have to get in their car and drive over to the home where the, where the chicken was raised so they could see about his, his health standards and his quality of life before they, before they place their order in the cafe. That's Portland. Portland is basically all true. Based on true stories, it says at the start of the show. Yeah. Okay, so you had that nice, supportive environment up here, especially the CrossFit community. You went into the um, paleo-style diet where you're slamming the sardines, the eggs, the meat, whatever, uh, and then pairing that with back into a CrossFit scene. But were you getting in that chronic pattern with CrossFit? Yeah, like like anything. It's not the thing itself. Like CrossFit's great, but if you overdo it, it becomes not so great. And yeah, I think I overdid it a little bit. And, uh, same, I, same with the diet. I think I got a little bit, I I talked about this on the last podcast I was on, but a little bit myopic about, you know, getting bigger and chasing strength and then, uh, basically getting fatter than I wanted to, you know, just sort of losing the forest for the trees, not really realizing it was happening, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, it just comes down to, I don't know, balance and. Well, I guess if your powerlifting goal is to up your deadlift. Yeah, you want to uh, get big. You were you were doing fine. You were right on track. I mean, tell me, like, what was your high school weight? What was your weight <laughs> when you were skinny chicken boy at your worst with the parasite? And then what did you bulk up to at your max? I, I mean, I was always really uh, small in high school. I was like probably 120 some pounds. Um, like Steve Prefontaine from the same town, yeah, Coos, yeah, Bay, Coos Bay, Oregon. And then college, you know, just no, being a normal guy was... Probably 130 some. Well, not not normal because you guys were all celebrities. <laughs> the, the Sup With Your Girl, you got to go on YouTube and, and look for, is Sup With Your Girl a channel? A channel? Um, I think so. If you, if you search, the videos will come up. Sup With Sup You with Girl. S-U-P-W-I-T-C-H-U-G-I-R-L. Yeah. So we're going to do a whole show about this for Get Over Yourself podcast, but... Um, you guys got this viral video for duck football fans and it led to this incredible dispute with the university, then settling and you guys collecting royalties and traveling around and blowing all your money. It's a beautiful story. So (laughs) we want to hear that. We'll we'll record that for 
posterity, but right now, so then you're, you're and, a college and weight and then... Doing the vegan thing, I, I think I got, be- with the parasite, I got below 120. Oh, God. During the same period of time where I was, you know, vegetarian and uh, parasitic, I did this three-week survival course where they basically strip you of everything except, you know, uh, like a cloth sack and, you know, a, a sweater and a knife and, like... You know, you're out there and you have to make fire with sticks. Where and was it? It was in uh, like Southern Utah. Oh, geez. It's a really awesome. Uh, I mean, it's still going. It's called Boulder Outdoor Survival School. But yeah, talking about like learning about ancestral living, like that, that was, you know, one of the biggest eye openers for me. And that, that was actually the turning point um, where I, I started eating meat because part of the thing was uh, you have to like process a sheep. Like about halfway through it, like the first week, uh, you basically have nothing and it wasn't planned, but there was a flash flood and we got trapped and we didn't eat for six days. So we didn't eat anything didn't eat. for six days. Were you together with the group? Yeah, it was a group. It was probably like eight six of us. Six days. Yeah. And then the next thing. Did you have water? We had water and it wasn't supposed to be six days, but there was, we basically got like trapped in our camp because of like a, the river came up. And so we were stuck there and that was sort of my first and like only, you know, experience with a prolonged fast. And I remember, you know, just walking around like sort of in a haze, um, probably very ketotic, but <laughs> not feeling good. But yeah, about halfway through, you know, you, you kill and process a sheep, you know, using like obsidian blades. This was my first meat, you know, in like over a year. And it's that, I mean, that's still an experience, you know, I sort of hold on to, you know, I guess having to like hold down an animal and, you know, watch it die and just realize that anytime you do eat an animal, it's like, I mean, I know I'm, I do this, you know, you sort of see the free range label and you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm, you know, like I, I'm, I'm an ethical omnivore, but I mean, there's a cost, you know, anytime you, you eat an animal, like, you know, there's a little bit of suffering that happens no matter how well it's done. And it's easy to forget, but I mean, I, that sticks with me, but I felt like, okay, once I was, once I witnessed this, I'd like earn sort of, I mean, it sounds stupid, but you know, I've earned my ability to eat meat again. Yeah. At least you're connected. Yeah. I I mean, I think the, just, just to, just to mess with vegans a little bit, um, you know, when they're eating their wheat, um, inside that wheat molecule is a little bit of mouse that got caught oh, in yeah. the tiller blade. So it's all about drying a certain line. And that was yeah. the, one of the main reasons I, I stopped eating meat is because you get into this, it's just sort of that you feel like, you know, the guilt of existing, you know, everything you do like seems to take, you know, the life of something else. And, you know, it's, it's hard to deal with. So you want to somehow, you want to feel like you're doing something, you know, and Sort of the motto I came up with in the last few years is, you know, all life feeds on life, so make sure your life is worthy of taking it. Because no matter what you do, you know, you're, the inputs, you can't, really, you can't really minimize the input side of the equation. Like, your life is going to feed on something, so focus on, I guess, the output side. So, you know, make sure your life is, provides more value to the world than, you know, those cows that you're eating would have. like it, yeah. Um, uh, so then you're kind of in this groove of ancestral style eating, mm-hmm. um, and that's getting us up to uh, recent times Yeah, with that uh, transition into the keto experiment. Yeah, and then also, I mean, 
again, sort of on the theme of how like uh, the lifestyle factors can, I think we overplay the diet and not enough of the lifestyle. Like, you know, at the same time, I sort of was able to really um, commit to the keto was when my wife got here, you know, having someone with me, you know, I think just made it my life more stable in general. And, you know, I had that, uh, I think I was just happier. So it made, you know, following a diet a lot easier. You wow. Know? Right. You know, so looking back. That's a, that's a, that's a pure motivation. Yeah. You're enjoying your life. You have someone to share with, because it was a struggle listeners. He had to wait a year and deal with bureaucratic red tape where they're, you guys are getting married, but they still wouldn't let her come here from her uh, Sierra Leone is her home country. Yes. So that was, that's tough, man. And, and like speaking of that, that insight to make sure your life's worth it when you're taking another life from the cow or the sheep. Same with the relationship. Like people are out there waiting a year for their love to come join them. And we're here turning our head and, and bickering just routinely, just for fun every day. So that's a, that's a cool story. And if you're motivated by positive energy and enjoyment of life, that's always going to be way more powerful than someone who's disgusted with their love handles and needs to get them off before the mm-hmm. before their uh, uh, you know uh, bridesmaid in the wedding later this summer. And those you know those types of approaches, I think, are destined for failure and repeated failure. Because if you're you're so disgusted that you failed, then why try again? And it just leads you down a dark hole. Uh, so now. Um, what does the uh, what does the future look like? Are you you're, you're in this keto groove? Um, are you going to be like the next Peter Atia, who was like <laughs> super hardcore every single day for three years, and now I ask him, and he's like, "Nah, I'm too busy. I, I don't want to. You know, I can't be I can't be bothered." Which is such an interesting um, insight, where he was just you know plunging deep into this thing, and now kind of optimized in a different way to align with with busy life and feeling like. Um, you know, it, maybe it is more trouble, but that's what I like about your approach, man. Is like the simplicity and the stuff you said on the last podcast about just, you know, minimizing the decision fatigue by just having go-to meals. You know, I've taken breaks. I've thought about that. I was like, like around January, just like the hype around it, you know, especially around new year's, I got so sick of it. I was like, it made me not want to be keto. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to try something else. And honestly, it's almost like having all the options. It's almost like too much, too many options for me. And that sounds stupid because I'm still in that whole primal world, but it's, I find I've been keto for so long. It's like, I know exactly, I don't think about it anymore. So when I open it up, it's like, I constantly think about, oh, what should I eat? Like, yeah, it's, no, we're on, if, if you're uh, losing energy and listening to the podcast, <laughs> perk up a little bit, because we're on to something really important here. And I'm going to weigh in saying like, I have a very easy time um, making commitments to things and, and devoting myself. I'm a competitive, athletic-minded person. But if you like, give me an inch and say, I say to myself, yeah, I'm going to enjoy some popcorn because I'm out of my strict keto experiment and now I'm going to see how my body responds to this and that, uh-huh. I will inhale that shit. And it's kind of funny to observe that I guess I was deprived, even though I didn't have any trouble and I wasn't obsessing about popcorn for 30 nights yeah. in a row. When it comes and it, I, I make the decision that this is okay, and I introduce all these variables that you're talking about, it starts to get a little bit weird. It's not even that you're probably overdoing, but I find myself less satisfied with the choice, the more choices I have. Well, that's um, psychologically yeah. verified by science. Yeah, right? I've definitely found that to be true. And it's like, 
I just think of like, you know, when you go to In-N-Out, the menu is like so simple and there's something like very satisfying about it as opposed to, you know, you go to Cheesecake Factory and you're paging through the menu. You're like, God, what should I order? And it's like, no matter what you order, you're always like, oh, maybe I should have gotten that. What, what, how's yours over there? Yeah. Oh, do you want a bite? Here you go. Here's a half a forkful. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. I just find I'm way, I just find my sort of satisfaction with my way of eating higher when I'm just sort of in this sort of stubborn keto mindset. And there's, there's not that many foods that I really, you know, miss or that don't fit within it. So it's like, I guess why I'm so used to it now, why would I change? Yeah, it's like um, chocolate, okay? Um, my whole life, I indulged now and then, starting as a kid, with my favorite chocolate bars, like Mounds or Almond Joy or Nestle's Crunch or whatever. <laughs> and I think as an adult, I, I, I toned that down. But I remember years of you know going to Trader Joe's and getting a nice, uh, I like the Toblerone with the triangular shape. And that was my, that was my enjoyment of chocolate. And then- in, into this, uh, you know, primal scene. Now I'm, I'm a decade in, it was like, Oh, Oh, you're supposed to eat dark chocolate, not milk chocolate. So I bought my first bar of dark chocolate. And I was like, yeah, this tastes like cardboard. There's no, there's no sweetness. Uh, chew, chew, chew. I'm done. Um, but 10 years later, I'm a, a huge connoisseur of dark chocolate. I just presented you with the fabulous Thomas Keller, uh, bar that's second to none. And I'm, you know, searching around the world and learning more on the internet and had the show with Terea Rodriguez, uh, where she got into the details of how to select a good dark chocolate. And it's like, if you give me a, a bite of milk chocolate, I will want to spit it out. And I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart. It's like, I can't stand that stuff because I've dehabituated from it. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of dehabituated from massive choices every morning mm-hmm. to, to glutton out and have, you know, the five point all-star breakfast where you get the uh, the, the buffet at the Ritz Carlton. That's uh, we always rip on those guys in the book because it's like forty bucks for the healthy starter mm-hmm. buffet, and it's got um, whole wheat toast with mm-hmm. apple butter, uh, freshly squeezed juice, oatmeal, uh, th- this and that, and it adds up to like one hundred and seventy six grams of carbs or something to just blast you to the to the moon and then you know crash and burn. So I think it's something really important for for the listeners to consider is that narrowing down your choices, gaining more satisfaction, reducing decision fatigue. I honestly think that's why a lot of people do find as much success as they do with the keto diet is, you know, because honestly, you know, you could weigh and measure everything. You could lose weight eating pretty much any way, but it's like, you know, that's just not realistic. And it's, you know, this, the food environment we're in today is, you know, very, it's very hazardous, you know, for anybody. To navigate and then, you know, just sort of the narrowing of foods that, you know, the keto diet provides is sort of just this tool, you know, that people can, you know, have and they know like, oh, I don't eat that. And it's, it, it's working for people. Yeah. And it would come, when it comes to the bad stuff, uh, educating yourself, taking responsibility for your health and understanding that refined high polyunsaturated vegetable oils mm-hmm. have been shown to create an instant disturbance in healthy cellular function at the DNA level such that they are compared unfavorably to smoking a cigarette. Dr. Kate Shanahan is big on this where they've done research. I think they gave some healthy college subjects a dose of french fries and they had disturbed arterial function. They had stiffer, less fluid arterial function for 24 hours. Whereas if you smoke a cigarette, you screw up your cardiovascular system for like six or eight hours. And so 
just learning these insights and saying, okay, this stuff will kill me. Mm-hmm. We know that. Sugar will kill you now. Dr. Robert Lustig, Gary Taubes, the information is out. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want to ignore it and, and make rationalizations like, hey, everything in moderation, but just like knowing that and owning it and then making a decision like, I don't want to die and suffer like, like so many people are doing, so I can't eat that. And so there's no, you, you've, you know, dis, decision has come from the Latin word decise, and mm-hmm. it means to, to cut away, like incision, decision, right? So you've cut away all the other options when you make a decision. And so, you know, we can, we can make a decision right now to say, I'm not eating these, these certain things that I know to be harm, harmful to my health. And it makes it so much easier. You're not missing out anymore. There's, there's no more missing out because you've, you've you know, gone onto a different path. Yeah, and even going back to the satisfaction part, like there's a lot of creativity and sort of having like a more limited palette, you know, when you just have like, oh, I can only paint with, you know, these three crayon colors. It's like, you know, if you have the whole box, it's like you're going to be, you're like, which one do I use? But it's like, you know, any person who does creative stuff, you know, realizes that some sort of constraints is useful, you know, and when you're putting meals together, you're like, oh, I just have these foods. How many combinations, you know, can I use this group of foods and, you know, mix and match and create different things with them? Uh, So are you making fun of my YouTube videos where I have slow motion, reverse, different (laughs) songs, (laughs) using all the features on uh, iMovie or Adobe Premiere Elements, like a real big shot. (laughs) Check out this flick. Yeah. Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, no, it's true. And um, I mean, we got to start waking up and looking after our health, doing it right, seeing that big picture, especially as emphasized with getting the exercise, sleep, and stress management right before we worry or stress too much about diet. Yeah. Brian McAndrew, killing it. What a great show. Now you got to go listen to yourself. You oh, gotta, wait, wait, we didn't make any mistakes. It's, it's yeah. a clean recording. There's no dubbing or anything. We nailed it. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, go to ketoreset.com. Learn more about the mastery course where more interviews of the of a rich educational nature to help guide you along and avoid the silly mistakes that we covered a little bit today. So Chris Kelly, Nourish Balance Thrive, we're we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's primal kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the primal kitchen wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> this is my pleasure.